0: In episode 4 of Design EDU today, Val head, designer, speaker, author and co-author of the Motion in Meeting podcast joins Gary Rosanz to discuss the tools, training and role of motion design and how to incorporate it into interactive design education. Val goes in depth on the motion design process from sketching to prototyping to final code. Val also discusses how she works with remote team members on an interactive design project. Hello and welcome to DesignEDU Today. The podcast series discussing what is necessary to be a successful designer in a contemporary screen based interactive world. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest, Val Head, is a designer based in lovely Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Her work ranges from projects on the web to interactive installations to print. She is the author of the Pocket Guide to CSS Animations, teaches CSS Animations on lynda.com, and hosts the All the Right Moves tutorial screencast. You can find her on stage speaking at events like An Event Apart and encouraging others to do the same as the co host of the Ladies in Tech podcast. She also founded the popular Web Design Day conference, and leads workshops around the world on UI animation and creative coding. Welcome, Val.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thanks for agreeing to do this. Um, So the first thing I wanted to mention is I recently saw a tweet of yours that read, some speakers dread the after lunch time (laughs) slot, but I kind of like. I get that spot a lot. Apparently, I'm good at keeping people awake. So (laughs) it it made me chuckle, too, because that does happen. Um, After seeing you speak at the Generate conference, I can honestly say it's because of your use of movement, in addition to really good content. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: that's what everyone tells me, like, you have such good energy, so we put you on after lunch. And, like, the first couple times that happened, I was like, hmm, I don't know what to think of this, because everyone's told me this is a spot you don't want. Um, But I think maybe there's just, you know... And maybe that spot just gets us some unfair, uh, I don't know, uh, people just kind of are down on it unfairly because it's, it's a perfectly good spot to have. I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, it's, it's all, I mean, it's, if you have good content, it's going to be a good, but the movement just makes it so much better. And so like, you, <laughs> you don't unnecessarily pace, you, you, yeah. you don't overly talk with your hands, I mean either you're like really choreographed. <laughs> Your movements better tell you and tell the story and keep that audience engaged. So how yeah. did you how did you find or develop your talent to to like harness movement?
1: Um, you know, I think it's just from doing. A, I mean, for me, I have a lot of energy just generally. So, um, I, when I first started speaking, it was kind of tough to figure out like how to make that not come across as just being super super nervous. Because if you're on stage, looking excited and looking nervous kind of look the same from the audience perspective, uh, which I didn't really realize. And people would be like, oh, you looked so nervous. And I'm like, I I wasn't really that nervous. I would just like really love this stuff. And it was fun. Uh, So kind of trying to tone it down enough to the point where, um, you know, just enough practice of kind of toning that down. So it came across like energetic enough. Um, but not to the point where everyone was like, well, what's wrong with you?
0: <laughs> but you've also translated it into what you do on the screen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's all similar stuff, I guess. <laughs> and
0: so, I mean, okay, so I have my nervous energy is my leg. When I'm sitting mm-hmm. at a table in a meeting, my leg starts shaking. And next thing I know, the whole room's shaking and everybody's <laughs> looking at me. So, <laughs> I guess, how can I, um, how can that be trained? How to, like, harness that energy Or that movement. I mean, is that something that can be trained?
1: I think so. I mean, for me, a lot of it was just being aware of it. Of like, um, you know, while a lot of the time while you're talking, you focus so much on what you're saying and the content, you're not really paying attention to what you're doing physically. So just kind of being, you know, doing the talks enough that I became aware of, like, what I'm doing. And I'm like, oh, okay, this matches what's happening. And it helps talking about animation, too, because there's lots of stuff where it really actually, you know, especially talking about easing and things, I think it really helps to kind of act it out. And even though that sometimes makes you look silly, I feel like just talking about ease in and ease out without kind of showing it, it just... I don't know, for some people, they might just be like, oh, yeah, I get it, but maybe they don't, or, you know, it, it helps get the point across, so a lot of it was just an awareness and trying to kind of match up points where I'm like, okay, this is a good spot to, like, act stuff out, and this is a good spot to try to stand still, <laughs> so there's a lot of that behind the scenes.
0: Do you do, you do that in client meetings?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the same in client meetings as on stage, which uh, I think makes people like working with me. I hope so, anyways. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it just takes something that's very abstract and it makes it very concrete.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. I,
0: so, I mean, well, for me, I think movement and animation is a new core design principle. Mm-hmm. Alongside composition, color theory, and typography, I, I I don't think it's just like an ancillary design principle anymore. Yet, it's not ubiquitous like good typography is. So why why has the adapt you know adaptation of movement or animation taking what i mean to me it seems like a slower pace
1: i think there's a, a couple of reasons for that especially on the web i mean up until i guess maybe like less than 5 years ago we didn't have a way to add motion in like a way that could be like semantic and like properly belonging to the web right mm-hmm. like doing things in flash or other similar plugins or even jquery sometimes just felt like once removed from the web right we were building sites with css and javascript and html but like to make things move we'd need to toss in a big flash like square essentially and that was this weird part of your site that wasn't really attached to the rest of the site and it was just kind of like you had to make a lot of compromises to make that work in a way you wanted to, if you cared about like semantics and accessibility and just like usability in general, um, so I can't even think—I can't think of exactly what year all that changed, but it's pretty recently that like now CSS can do that. A lot of that stuff. Um, browsers have gotten much faster at interpreting and executing JavaScript so we can actually use other things besides J- jQuery. We can even you know use Canvas and stuff if we wanted to. And then there's the whole SVG situation, which mm-hmm. is just like magical amazingness and confusingness all in one. Um, like we have so many options now that are are really properly native to the web and, that we can control using the same tools we've always used to build websites. And I think that really changes things for us. You know, it's like we can use the same tools we always had and we've always used to do this new thing, which is, I mean, new to us, maybe not new to everyone. Yeah. But I think the other reason it, it's not quite caught on as much is it's just something we don't have a background in, right? Like most web designers haven't taken any animation classes, they don't have, like, a motion design degree, they probably don't really even know much about the field of motion design. Like, it's just not something we ever really come across in our typical web design education, whether it's, like, formally at school or just, like, reading blogs or, you know. um, Even if you only read things, like, a list apart, animation didn't get mentioned there until pretty recently. So um, I think it's just kind of been this thing that... Just has been like maybe just right outside our regular realm of where we were and what we read and what we learned about. So we just never quite got there.
0: Yeah, you see, and that's what I find kind of. Well, I mean, in the big picture, yeah, it's it's we haven't had the technology around that long. Yeah. But I mean, and I, I wish I had time to fact check this right now, but responsive web design and media queries came out not that long ago and they have i mean now it's like expected that your your a website's going to be responsive so there's really you can almost make the argument that there's no longer responsive design because that's just now become web design
1: yeah i think they were they were tweeting about the 5 year anniversary of the article i think yeah. a, few, a couple months ago so probably about 5 years yeah yeah
0: and so animation's been around if it wasn't adopted in um you know back in internet explorer 9 i mean it's like shortly thereafter mm-hmm. right
1: I think, yeah, it's been probably maybe four or three years that we've really been able to use it, um, you know, because a lot of it's the older browser stuff and everything. Yeah. Um, But I think it's, you know, uh, on top of those other two things, animation kind of also just had a really bad reputation on the web, right? If you talk about web and animation, people are like, oh, skip intro, banner ads, ugh, yuck, get me away from that. You know, it's not, um, it kind of comes with its own baggage in that sense, too, uh, which is, it uh, made me unfair. I, I kind of, I mean, well, it's un- it's unfair, but also not unfair. Like, there were some terrible skip intros. There's some really awful banner ads. It's totally true. But I feel like we can do so much better than that. And, um, you know, ignoring it because of what's been done in the past is kind of, I don't know, it's not really the right thing to do. <laughs> we should look, you know, we can change that and do way better things now. So why not embrace it and try it as opposed to just be like, well, it was crap before, so we're not doing it anymore. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that sentiment because I can't remember what, what blog or, or what article I saw it in. But somebody broke out the 1992 version of Apple's original homepage. Oh. It, it was awful. And if we had stopped there because it was awful and because nobody knew how to use, <laughs> you know, the technology the way they could print, we would be stuck in that rut of still having that. But, you know, people, like, pushed the boundaries and pushed forward with it and so i'm just so kind of surprised you know animation and and, um movement don't fit into that same mold
1: Yeah, I I think maybe it's partly that people feel it's like a little bit of an extra thing too. And I know I've been told this um, when writing articles or pitching articles and stuff is people feel like things like responsive design is like very important in like fixing a serious problem and they still feel like animation is this kind of like extra thing. You can maybe add if you want to, but they just, um, I guess, question the design value of it, which... Yeah, I'm like, well, I could talk to you a lot about the design value of it. But if you don't want to hear it, I guess I'll just take my article elsewhere. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, it, yeah. yeah, it comes down to me. Like, I think I read somewhere your your most recent article, you compared it to like good typography. You know, it's it's the it's a detail thing. It is. It's yes, of course, the site's still going to work. Of course, the site's still going to function. But it's just going to be a better, more intuitive experience if animations and if movement is included. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one thing that just always shocks me about that, though, is I teach web design, I teach responsive design, and, you know, I start with the fundamentals. But students always, always gravitate anytime that they're doing their mock ups towards putting in movement. They put in care, they want carousels, they want light boxes, they want parallax scrolling. They want all of that before they even focus on, you know, typography. Yeah, It's like almost, I think they equate movement as like Mm -hmm. content or in replace of ideas. Yeah. (laughs) So how do you get these new designers to focus on content and layout before enhancing with movement? Or do I have it backwards? Maybe movement is where to start from in animation.
1: I like that they're trying it out because I I feel like even if you're... If you're going to it first, and even if you're doing it like I don't, uh, for lack of a better word, wrong, or maybe it's not the best choice, the fact that they're going to it first, I find very encouraging because that's like the opposite of what most working professionals are doing now. It's like the last thing they will look at. Mm-hmm. So that gives me some hope that like we will change our outlook on this. Um, but I think one way to to get them to kind of focus on the content and make them fit it, is to just ask, you know, why is that there? You know, why is that moving? And if you can't answer that, maybe it doesn't need to be moving, or maybe you just need to rethink what's moving and why and when. Um, because if you can't answer why it's moving, then it doesn't really have much purpose. Kind of the same way, if someone asks you like, "Why did you pick that headline typeface?" If you have no explanation or no like, <laughs> and the reason can be anything from like this huge long essay about like how the designer of the typeface lived in the same era as the subject of this article. Or it could just be like it had really strong corners and nice parallel lines so it fit with the clean, you know, like it could be, there's a huge um, gamut of explanations that are perfectly legitimate design explanations. Um, but you just need to have, have thought of one or have one.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I also feel bad too because I, I like the fact that you're right. I mean. You should be excited. Like every student wants to have something moving across the screen, whether it's for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. They, they want something animated. I guess I come like the frustrating part for me is like, well, you can't even adjust the, uh, the, the margin and the letting <laughs> <laughs> on your H1 elements yet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but, I guess they probably want like it's the same thing as like wanting all the typefaces on your web page. Eventually, you realize that no matter how much you love type, you should maybe just you know, limit yourself to a couple
0: <laughs> that I don't, you know, that I'm surprised. I, I don't have this overabundance of wanting to use
1: oh, typefaces.
0: Wow. It might be just because that's how I start off. Like the first project of the, yeah. you know, I start off with, it's a single, we're going to do it mobile only. So we do it in this long, tall, narrow column and we pick four typefaces and mm. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to work in the system. So I, I guess, you know, They haven't had any experience, so whatever I say to them, they think is is the right thing to do. (laughs) So that's good. Well, no, it also means I have to be extra careful, do my homework (laughs) twice as hard to make sure what I am saying is standard, is you know the best way to go. Yeah. So, um, this is a a large question, but Mm -hmm. what is your working process um, for, I guess, working on a project or or when to apply animations. And how do you actually do it? Like, for like in the early stages when they're doing wireframing and sketches mm-hmm. and mockups, how do you incorporate movement into that and in animation in addition to everything else that needs to be shown?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of it, I mean, um, I, I work independently, so I yeah. tend to end up with a lot of different teams. so I kind of adjust my process based on um, either the client or the team's process since I'm usually like uh, not the person completely in charge of everything, which is nice. Um, but I, I usually I try to think of animation as early in the process as possible. I find that if you don't, um, you run into problems later, it becomes harder to implement or harder to kind of argue for, um, even just in the sense of like having time to do it if you wait too long into the project. You know, if you're at the end of the project and everyone's almost hit their cap of billable hours and you're like, and we should add some animation, people are gonna be like, no, we don't have the time, this needs to launch. Uh, so the earlier you can start talking about it and discussing it, the better, is, if for nothing else, to avoid that, um, that situation. Um, but I like to start thinking about it even in just like the sketching phases of like how you know, at the minimum like how could this brand or this product or whatever it is that the focus of the site is about like how could this be expressed in motion what kind of motion would express the same values or the same message of this brand and then kind of look of look for ways to put that in there um, and a lot of the time it's the obvious things like buttons or like state transitions you know things like that um, And then to actually start putting these into um, usually rough sketches at first, then when we get to the point of doing things like element collages um, and that kind of thing, actually adding like little mini storyboards in there. Like, here's here's the behavior of the button and how it might animate, you know, just here's three cells effectively, things like that. Or if it's something like, um, you know, the way something might enter the screen or leave the screen, of kind of storyboarding that out. Um, And and not so much to demonstrate every detail of the motion in that phase, but really to have it to be something to talk about. Because usually when you're presenting things like element collages, you're talking to your team or your client. So when you get to that part, you're like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about the motion for this particular piece of content or particular, you know, um, whatever, frame or um, object in our, our design. Um, and then just kind of carry that through as you go when you get to your in browser mock ups, like actually have some of that motion in there. Um, or even what tends to work if I'm not, cause on some of the projects, I don't actually end up touching too much of the code. So I'll create some little uh, motion mock ups either in, um, I tend to use After Effects, but I know a lot of other people use like Flash or something, whatever you're comfortable in. I've kind of take that little storyboard or those elements from, um, you know, Photoshop or Sketch, and actually try to animate them, and just be like, "Here's how this would move, and how it might actually look." Um, and and to also use that as a conversation piece when you're talking to to the developer of just like, "Here's what I have in mind. Here's why I want it to work like this. You know, how how can we make this happen?" You know, a lot of the time, um, it might not always be one to one. You can't do the exact same motion you see in After Effects on the web. Um, you know, there's After Effects is kind of a really fancy tool. You can make it do a lot of things. You could never replicate on the web. So um, to use it kind of like as a a way to move things forward and a way to kind of show people what you're thinking versus um, doing that like pixel perfect thing of like, make it look exactly like this or else. Um, and that's, that's been a, a pretty, worked pretty well of kind of having it in there as early as possible, working to like a motion mock-up, and then getting to some kind of usable prototype, um, which is always tends to be the part where you end up finessing things a lot because you realize, oh, when I click on this and that animates like that, it's too fast, or it doesn't quite read right, or it doesn't feel like it responds fast enough, or that kind of thing. Um, so getting to that prototype as fast as you can in your process is pretty important too. Um, especially when we're animating interactive things, the sooner you can actually try to interact with it, the sooner you can figure out, you know, how good your motion is for interacting with, and what you might need to change or adjust.
0: I, you know, one. When... One thing that kind of shocked me, because I, whenever I get a chance, I like to talk to designers, especially ones that like just kind of graduated, is to see like, mm-hmm. hey, where did you know what could we have done better, and you know what were you kind of shocked at, and like one of their tools that they're that they're, she said, oh, I wish we could have learned Keynote. I was like, why would oh. you wish you learned Keynote? She's like, well, all the animations, at least the iOS animations, are built are, are you know like transitions in Keynote.
1: Oh like, that's true yeah. I'm like I'm
0: designing a keynote all the time to just like mock up these animations that mm-hmm. we were, were showing to clients and I like I de- I was my I didn't know what to say to that. I was just totally shocked that that was a a tool now.
1: Yeah, I, you know that's I I've, I've heard that from a few people that they do um like motion mockups and stuff in keynote which and even like wireframes I think in keynote which I think is interesting um I don't, I've never used it for that, but it seems like it's a really popular tool for that.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you, you're the tool that you mentioned, After Effects. That's what made most sense to me. It's like, oh, I could do all this. We could, I could, you know, show students how to do this in After Effects and yeah. get the message across. But
1: I've but never... also, it's like After Effects is this kind of huge mammoth tool. Yeah. Like, if you don't, I use it because I learned it in school and I, I kind of know how it works. But like, if you knew nothing about it. Keynote sure sounds a heck of a lot more approachable (laughs) than After Effects. Yeah. Uh, And probably a little bit more to the point, right? I mean, if you're just doing motion mock-ups for interfaces and After Effects, you're probably not using, like, 85% 85% of the tool. <laughs> um, so, you know, keynote maybe makes more sense, but it's all in what you know, right? It's like, yeah. you can get that across with whatever you need to use. And I guess it changes when you're working with a team because you got, you need to all agree on something or else it's going to be chaos. But, um, you know, it's not so much the tool, it's what you're trying to get done.
0: You know, uh, one thing you've mentioned a couple of times now, so, you, so you're an independent designer, you don't really mm-hmm. work for a firm, but you Every every time I heard you mention something about how you work, it's you use the word team. Uh-huh. <laughs> so what what does that look, I I think a lot of students have I, not even glamorized. They think that, OK, you know, my choices are I'm going to go work at a design for I'm going to be this independent freelance designer. And I don't think they realize that just how much of a team sport design has become. So like, oh, what is. So-
1: <laughs> it's like what
0: does what does a I mean? Can you like maybe talk about one project and like the different team components?
1: Yeah. Well, I usually have this, how
0: you work together.
1: Yeah, I usually have kind of. There's two different. Generally, all the projects I take on fall into two different categories. It's either me working directly with a client, um, which is still totally a team effort because if you don't work with your client. I mean, how are you going to come up with a good solution for them if you don't actually consider them part of your team? Um, But I guess the more traditional team aspect I work on a lot of the time is I team up with other independent folks. So I basically run my own studio, which is essentially just me. But that really limits you to the size of project you can work on, right? Like there's only so many roles you can fill yourself. And even if you were an expert at all of them, it would take you infinitely more time to ever finish a project (laughs) because you're still only one human. So what I do a lot of the time is team up with some other independent folks. um, And usually we end up in a team of about five-ish So there'll usually be like um, a a UX or IA person, or maybe like a UX and an IA person, um, someone doing content strategy, um, a developer, maybe um, even like a specific CMS developer, a project manager, and then usually like myself doing design. So I guess that was seven that I listed out, but whatever, five to seven people. So it's kind of like you're kind of teaming up to create your own little agency in a sense, but on a per project basis. And we all get together to do the kind of proposal, so everyone has input on that, and we work up a schedule, and then basically work on it as if we work at the same company, even though we don't. <laughs> at least for that project, right? Yeah. Um, and it's it's been a great way to work because one of the one of my biggest fears of of going independent was just like I don't want to work by myself all the time. Like I'm gonna miss that. As much as I wanted to leave the agency I was at, (laughs) I was like, "I'm going to miss working with people." So it's it's nice that you don't have to give that up.
0: Yeah, that's I I I think it was recently Dan Mall tweeted that you know he and about 800 other people it seemed like were co working on O'Reilly's redesign, Mm -hmm. and I was just amazed at like the geographical locations of everybody, and it's like, wow, things have really kind of changed just even in the past five years.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that model has become much more popular even for clients. Like I think, yeah, like maybe five years ago, if you told a client, Hey, I have this team of seven people who don't even live in the same city and we're going to work on this project for you. They'd be like, get out of here. (laughs) You know, they'd be like, nope, not going to happen. But, uh, I mean, now that's not a crazy thing to propose.
0: Yeah. Well, Dan Pinkin predicted back when he wrote uh, Free Agent Nation, he kind of alluded to this mm-hmm. team uh, approach to everything and in this independent but team. Um, so, so one question I want to ask you about is, so you teach at lynda.com, uh-huh. and you host All the Right Moves tutorial screencast. So as a traditional offline educator, I, I find myself acting like Gollum. And so I have these <laughs> these conversations with myself that, I'm not covering enough skills in the classroom and that's why there's this need for this online education and and these workshops and that's why they're growing. Then I come back to like, well, no, I teach at a four-year design program. I have maybe 11 or 12 classes total to teach everything that an entry-level designer needs to know. Yeah. And I just don't – and like sometimes I feel like, well, you know, we're failing because – we're not covering enough and these other areas are picking it up. And then other times like, well, no, we just can't like, what's your view on like kind of how we're doing. I mean, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: are we doing enough? Is that why this, you know, Linda is being, been so popular or.
1: No, I think, I think it's more what you're saying of, of that you, like as a school and a four-year program, you can't cover absolutely everything. It's just impossible. So I think that these other things kind of fill in those gaps. But also, I, I think they're aimed at a little bit of a different audience as well, mm-hmm. right? Like, not everyone can go to a four-year school and get a four-year degree. Or even if you're someone who has a degree and it's like, I've decided I'm changing my career to this web design stuff. Crap, what do I do? <laughs> you know, for, it's nice to have that those other options of like, oh, you could do Linda stuff, you could do Treehouse or whatever. Um, I don't think... I think sometimes people like to say that those can replace, like, a full-on, you know, university education, Um, and I I don't know if they really can. Like, if you didn't have a degree and you decided to just go teach yourself through Linda courses, I don't know if you'd really end up with the same skill set or maybe just not as... Um, I I just don't think they cover all the things that a school does. Um, But they, they too, appeal to different audiences. And I know um, a lot of the people that end up taking Linda courses are are actually people that, um, at least people that, that have, giving me feedback about mine are generally people who already have a job and work at some, you know, like large corporate type thing and their company has a Linda subscription and they're just trying to learn new stuff to, you know, further what they're doing or, you know, maybe make a move career wise or go get into a different department or some, a lot of the time just to like get their current project done. Yeah. <laughs> like I need to learn this thing because I, I know I need to do it and I have no idea how, but I have to do it for this project. So, um, So for those things, and then the workshops and, like, the screencasts and stuff, the main reason I do it is um, the biggest, one of my favorite things about this industry and the web design industry in general is just how open and sharing everyone is. Like, I feel like I wouldn't be doing this today Mm -hmm. if I hadn't gone to, like, you know, gone to, like, meetups and read blogs and, and just, like, run into these people who would just share what they knew basically just for the sake of sharing and making things better for everyone um, which I don't think is actually common in many other industries which is just feels so weird <laughs> so a lot of that stuff I just do because I feel like I've gotten so much from people's openness and sharing like yep. especially early on in my career and like if I could do that for somebody else just by sharing what I know and you know spending a few hours recording a little video like that's pretty great I, I want to do that so that's my main motivation for doing all of the uh, um, you know, like the blog and the videos and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. See, I get. I, I guess just you know, you, it's real easy to get blinders on, and I forget that. So I'm always looking at it from a student perspective, like you know, mm-hmm. right out of high school. I forg I mean, I wasn't even a tra- I didn't start going to school into my into my late twenties. <laughs> so yeah. I, I forget that other that that segment exists, and mm-hmm. that's that there that is serving a huge need for that. That just traditional education just isn't meant for or isn't yeah. easily accessible. So I kind of forget that. Um, this isn't a, a very deep question, <laughs> but what are some of your favorite exercises for teaching people for motion and animation and, and movement? Um,
1: well, my very favorite, oddly, the very favorite exercise in my workshops is, is animating a robot um, <laughs> with CSS, which sounds silly because it has nothing to do with interfaces. But the main reason I I ever put it in was to give people the feel of what it's like to have a bunch of CSS animations, like writing a bunch of keyframes and having them work together. because that's a big challenge. And I had this robot that I drew and I thought it would be cute to make him dance. (laughs) And I figured I'd use it like one off in one workshop, but it's like everyone's favorite exercise. So (laughs) I've had to redraw the robot a few times, make him SVG now, but he stuck around for a while, um, which is pretty funny. Uh, But it, it is a good exercise to get a feel for like, what it's like, well for two reasons, to feel, get what a feel of what it's like to have multiple animations on multiple things and, and how to make them work together, because uh, it's very different in CSS because we don't have a visual timeline, so you have to keep that all in your head, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, to like, it's pretty easy for us to all imagine a robot dancing, and I think this is maybe why this exercise works so well, is you can imagine what he should do. So it's really easy to think of what the motion you want is. And then you just have to do the work of how do I write that in CSS? Um, And I I think a lot of the time when you're presented with something that's maybe less silly or has, you know, when you're, um, you know, something, I guess, with more weight on the end decision. Like if you're like, I have to animate this form and it has to be really good and everything, you kind of block yourself from being able to do it, right? Because you put so much pressure on yourself, like it has to be perfect. And like, that's just... That's hard <laughs> so um, I think I think that exercise works really well because there's none of that expectation and then we move on to doing some actual like real interface stuff but that's always a fun one to start with and um, I, have, I have a nice little I, I do little screencasts or screen cap captures of everyone's robots I have collections at the end of every class of a bunch of dancing robots
0: and see like it goes back to my students are just fascinated the first thing they want to do is start moving things around the screen so it I – mean, yeah dancing robots they would they just go ooh and ah when i pull up code pen and i show them (laughs) look at all these css animations that we're not going to learn but i really (laughs) hope you do on your own
1: yeah but i mean that's part of that's part of education too right Of just showing people what's out there like i feel like i know for me when i first started university i had no idea graphic design was a thing you could go to school for (laughs) which makes me sound kind of stupid but i was only 18 so you know (laughs) but it's like if, if i hadn't had someone like tell me that existed I probably never would have gotten into this. So I think that's still good of showing people little things of like, you could do this. We're not going to talk about it, but if you like it, go find out for yourself.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I have to, because there's just so much. It's unbelievable. Um, so are there ways to teach motion without the screen being involved? I mean, I know earlier you mentioned um, uh, storyboarding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there other things besides just, you know, doing storyboards that are-
1: I, of, of non-screen at all, I yeah. guess pretty much storyboards would be it, unless you're going to go to like some straight-up traditional animation, which would be really fun but probably not very practical. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a there's a really awesome museum here in town that actually has like a a classic animator's like desk, I guess, or mm-hmm. drafting table. It looks amazing. What's I the love museum? To- uh, it's called the Toon Museum. It's a okay. cartoon museum here in town, um, and that's oh in
0: Pittsburgh. That's right. Yeah.
1: So it's uh, every time I go in there, I'm like, "Oh, I wish I knew how to use half of this stuff," <laughs> but I'm not sure how practical that is. Yeah. All right. Well, just
0: one last uh, uh, question. Um, yeah. what What does your toolbox look like for the modern designer who includes animations? Because I know there's like a bunch of little things you can use to make writing CSS keyframes a little bit easier. And we talked about, you know, like Keynote and After Effects. Was there other things that you have in your toolbox that maybe would be yeah. helpful or like on the co-writing
1: side well on the design side it's definitely things like after effects and um, I should probably try using Keynote more for this I might be able to save myself a ton of time but <laughs> mostly it's just an excuse to open up after effects right you're like oh I remember this it was so fun <laughs> um, so a lot of that um, on the design side of things and a lot of just like terrible messy sketches um, yeah. especially if I'm working with people I've worked with a lot and it's an internal <laughs> team I will show them my awful sketches and explain it and, and talk them through it and sometimes that's enough you yeah. know, to get the going across. Uh, clients and new people, not so much. I don't like them to know that I can't draw for crap. Um, <laughs> but that's why I do stuff on screen. Um, code-wise, I use auto-prefixer for helping yeah. out with like getting all that in because, oh my goodness, writing that stuff out by hand is just terrible. Um, getting to know SAS and mm-hmm. writing, being able to write SAS loops is a really handy way to save yourself writing some keyframes, um, and also just or using it to save variables for your easing and stuff. Of just being yeah. like, instead of having to see like 50 billion cubic Bezier functions in your CSS, you just see like a variable called like ease out quad, um, and that's so much easier. So a lot of little code shortcuts that work good for other CSS things as well. I find are really helpful for animation. Um, yeah. And then I like to keep an eye on JavaScript libraries yeah. for animation because, you know, there's you can go pretty far mm-hmm. in CSS, but sometimes you need a little more logic and a little more control, um, and I'm terrible at deciding on which one I want to use. So, like, my last project, I used GreenSock. project before that, I used Velocity. <laughs> so it's horrible. I just can't decide on one. Um, but they all have different strengths, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm... I, terrible at, at just picking one and sticking with it.
0: Well, I wish there was one size fits all tool. <laughs> Make you this know, a lot it easier just isn't, for us.
1: Right? Yeah. yeah. So I think it's, you know, not have, changing up your tools based on what you need to get done is totally fine. It just maybe makes you sound a little uh, indecisive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's how we get stuff done. I,
0: mean, I think uh, uh, I can't, I, uh, I was talking to a couple of designers at Substantial. It's a firm up in Seattle and they, mm-hmm. they basically said, learn one tool, learn it really well and don't worry about learning all the other tools because you can just bend that one tool you know really well to make it do yeah. whatever you want so i like that approach
1: yeah and it's like you don't want to feel overwhelmed like you have to learn them all it's yeah. just like yeah figure out some you can make you can get things to work with pretty much any tool you have if yeah. you know one well enough
0: yeah you can make it work All right, Val. Well, we're coming up on, I'm coming up to the end of this episode. So before I let you go, is there anything you are working on that you want to share with the listeners, like maybe a new podcast or a book? (laughs)
1: Yeah, actually, I have uh, both of those things. Uh, my friend Kenneth Bowles and I just started a podcast called Motion and Meaning, which might be of interest to your listeners. It's all about um, you know how we take motion design principles and apply them to our work as people who do digital design. And that's been pretty fun. You can find that at motionandmeaning.io and hopefully very soon in the iTunes store or iTunes podcast listing I guess as well because you can't buy podcasts so it's not in the store (laughs) anyways (laughs) and I also um, just announced that uh, I'm writing a book for Rosenfeld Media and it's called um, Designing Interface Animations and it's kind of about similar stuff really Um, again into a little more detail obviously than the podcast about how we use motion as designers and how we can use it well so I'm really excited to get all that down in book form it's going to be so awesome to have it all in one place
0: um, can you give like this a little bit little bit more give us a little bit of more of a hook on that one? Just a little bit more details, like some of the potential chapters or anything like that, or has it not been worked out yet?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, I totally can. Um we well, basically, the main purpose of it is to be kind of like a crash course in interface animation and motion design theory for p- folks who work on the web because, we generally don't have that. Uh, and my main goal is to provide really great resources for anyone reading it to create animations in their own work that have both purpose and style. So that's kind of the main, the main thing. Um, I'm just trying to pull up the table of contents right now okay. because I can't remember off the top of my head, which is terrible because I wrote even though I wrote it. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's quite
0: all right. I, I'm, I can't remember half the things I wrote down the other day. That's why we write them down. Exactly. Well, that's definitely exciting because it's why you're looking that up. That's gonna fill a huge, huge void. At least I when, think so. in terms of, I mean, I'm coming from the educator perspective where um, I can find a thousand different books that I could use in the classroom for HTML, for CSS, mm-hmm. for user experience. I mean, everything. But there's nothing really out there on like the motion, that idea of how
1: yeah. it can help
0: user interface and help the experience.
1: Exactly and that that's one of the main reasons I wanted to write it. So we got pull up the table of contents and we've got uh, there's three sections to it one's kind of the case for animation of just you know a little bit of psychology a little bit of UX reasoning of like why this is good to do Um, and then a little bit of the history behind you know motion design and all that kind of stuff Um, using animation to to solve design problems uh, where I break down kind of uh, well actually exactly five different ways animation can actually help solve some design issues we get into when it comes to interfaces and how it can help And how to pull it off. (laughs) And um, the last bit is all about animation in our work process. You know, how this fits into our design process. Because especially people who are already working and doing this, they already have a certain way they go about, you know, tackling projects how do we fit this in there Um, talk a bit about prototyping and then also uh, a chapter on animating responsibly sorry uh, Mm -hmm. on animating responsibly which covers a little bit more about you know getting into some accessibility and some of those other little things that I think are unique to us on the web that maybe Mm -hmm. people who are creating apps and other things don't care about as much as we do Um, so I'm, I'm excited about all of that actually
0: do you dive into the performance aspect of it to, to be responsible stewards of that?
1: Yeah yeah oh, cool. performance comes into that as well you know just kind of uh, probably not in a huge amount of detail uh, you know not to the level of like a, a Paul Lewis course or anything but yeah. you know yeah it is part of being responsible about it if, if you have five billion animations you know you're how do you balance that with actually wanting things to work fast and all that kind of stuff so yeah that that all kind of fits in under that umbrella.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Wait, what's uh, once again? What's the name of the book?
1: The book is "Designing Interface Animations," right. and uh, it's coming out on Rosenfeld Media in well, not until 2016. So, thankfully, so I have a bit of time to finish writing it.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, but it it that'll that'll creep up on you.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to working on it and finishing it up.
0: That's exciting. That's going to be a great resource. All right, so. Um, One last thing before I let you go is, do you have a final piece of advice you'd like to give design educators to help prepare our students?
1: Um, Just advice in general is, you know, expose your students to motion as a design tool, even if it's something maybe you don't know super well yourself, you know, just present it to them as a thing they can do and can look into, because I think, um, I think the expectation of having that skill is going to be like something that's on job description soon. And if nothing else, they might have a little fun with it and come up with something amazing that we never thought of, which would be the best.
0: All right. Well, um, thanks Val. Um, so that's all we have time for today on episode four of design edu today. I want to thank today's guest Val Head, for being so generous with her time.
1: Oh, thanks I want- for having
0: me. Oh, I was a pleasure. Before I go, I also want to thank the audience for listening, and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and the CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. I also want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you like this podcast, consider leaving a review for it in the iTunes store and share it with your colleagues and friends. To discover more about the DesignEDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit the show website at designedu.today. To keep up with new show releases and updates about the podcast, visit the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Designedu today or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes and Google Play Store. Finally, if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes or give feedback to help improve the show, contact me through the show's email address at hello at designedu.today. Once again, thank you for listening to Design EDU Today.